So the big question is this. How can runners like you, who aren't professional athletes or paid sponsored runners, avoid injury and increase athletic performance to enjoy running race events for the rest of your life without wasting money on trends or using dangerous painkiller drugs? That is the question. And on hashtag Run Pain Free Podcast, your host, sports biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio, gives you the answers. Thank you for tuning in to the Run Pain Free Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. Today we are sharing the open interview with Loretta Claiborne, an Olympian, huge advocate for so many things, and just a genuinely awesome interview. I had so much fun interviewing her during our Marathon Training Summit, and I know you're gonna enjoy it. The advanced session is even more fun, <laughs> so make sure that you go on over to the description of this podcast and find that link that will get you to the advanced session. Enjoy. Welcome, Loretta, to the Run Pain Free Marathon Training Summit. I have the famous Loretta Claiborne. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, but I'm not famous. I let the fame for the rich and uh, whatever. <laughs> Those who are vain and rich, I, I, I let that for them. Oh, okay. Well, we are exa very excited to have you. You are very special to us and to the marathon community. So I want to introduce you to everybody so everybody knows who you are, Those for those who do not. Loretta Claiborne is a Special Olympics athlete since 1970, discovered a passion for running early in life and has been running since 1966. She's completed 26 marathons, earning her personal best, running a three-hour, three-minute marathon at the 1982 Boston Marathon. In addition to running, she holds a fourth-degree black belt in karate, is an avid tennis player, and continues to be a multi-sport competitor in Special Olympics. While her sports performances are impressive, Loretta's life contributions are immeasurable. She is a motivated speaker who travels the world meeting with international leaders, teachers, and students, promoting inclusion and respect for people of all abilities. Loretta personally has shared her message with Nelson Mandela, Pope Francis, United Nation leaders, five U.S. presidents from Reagan through Obama, Warren Buffett, Oprah, Dr. Oz, and the Crown Prince of UAE, just to name a few. Loretta, a celebrated athlete, was honored with ESPN's 1996 SB Arthur Ashe Award for Courage and is the subject of the Loretta Claiborne story, a Disney movie still airing on the Lifetime channel. Loretta currently holds two honorary doctoral degrees from Villanova University and Quinnipiac University. Despite all this notoriety, Loretta Claiborne's life mission remains unchanged. She continues to champion worldwide inclusion for all persons with different abilities and remains a dedicated advocate for the Special Olympics. Everybody, Loretta. <laughs> so we're gonna Hello. get right into it. We're gonna get right into it. I love asking. I just received my third honorary doctorate degree this past December the 18th. Oh, wow. From what school? Uh, your College, Pennsylvania. It's a college in my hometown. Wow. Congratulations. A third doctoral <laughs> degree. Wonderful. Good for you. That is amazing. Um, so you say you started running with your brother Hank in, in 1966. Can you talk about what got you into running with him? Well, as a kid, I always got 
I never got included with other kids. Like I'll find some friends and then all of a sudden they found out that I was differently able because I would go to uh, school and the special education classes then were separated. It was in the same building, but it might've been down by the kindergartner class or the class might've been in the basement. And so when I would find some friends, of course, my sisters would come along and then all of a sudden the friends would be friends with my sisters, even though I found a friend first. And it was just tough to be a kid who was differently able. So my brother ran and we lived in these projects and there was a field on the side of our house. Well, he was in high school. He would go down to the track, him and a bunch of guys, somebody would get a car and they would load the hurdles up and bring them up to this field and practice. And of course they would run, it was all guys. Well, I was kind of a tomboy. And I didn't mate well with the, you know, with the little girls and the Barbies. I could care less about that. I'd rather be in the creek, fishing, getting crayfish, that type of thing. So I kind of leached on to my brother because I watched these guys and I would start running around the field with them. And then all of a sudden I just wanted to run more. So there was a rule, you could not lead the project. So I would run around the whole Parkway projects. Wow. And then one day some man came to my mom and says, I saw Loretta walking on Pershing Avenue. My mom looks at me, she starts hollering at me. I said, but the projects are on Pershing Avenue. And guess what? I thought I was going to get a beating, but I didn't. In fact, today, my sister lives in one of those houses on Pershing Avenue. Wow. <laughs> so Pershing Avenue was still considered as a part of the project. Wow, wow. Um, and in 1970, you began participating in training for the Special Olympics. How did that change your life when you began that training aspect of really getting involved in running? Well, we, we'd start, I started in 66. And of course, in 69, we had the riots here. And it was tough. Living through the riots, your house, the National Guards were here. You couldn't go out at a certain time. And my rule of thumb was I was allowed to run around the projects. And in 1969, summer of 69, I started a school to work program for students with special education. So my teacher and the counselors came to my mother and says, oh, we think this will be a good fit for Loretta. She'll go to the workshop one week and she'll go to school the next week. And it was kind of cool because then I didn't have to deal with the war zone that I had to go in school, I didn't have to deal with the bullying. But when I went to the workshop, well, I had a rude awakening. I had another thing to deal with. Being African-American, there was few Blacks that worked there. And there was a little bit of prejudice going on and that I think they couldn't deal with kids from the city. Hmm. So I would run to the workshop, run back. And the next week I would go to school and the counselor noticed me. And he says, Loretta, I see you running all the time. You don't get on the bus. Why? I said, I don't want to get on the bus because I don't want to start no trouble. So he noticed me and that's when he got me into, he called me one day, I had a bad day. And that morning he says, Loretta, I want you to go up and have a sandwich. I said, no, thank you, please. He says, Loretta, I'm your counselor. Go and take a sandwich. So I went and took the sandwich, thinking in the back of my mind after I ate it, I wasn't supposed to do that because my mom had this rule of thumb. You leave my house, you don't take nothing from nobody. You understand? I want you to go to work, do your job at the workshop. Next week you go to school. You don't take nothing from nobody. 
because they're gonna ask for something back while well, I took that sandwich. Not thinking that evening, he called me in this office and he handed me a paper and it said Special Olympics. I couldn't hardly read the special, but I got the Olympic part because I used to always watch the Olympics every every four years. That was a big thing because you didn't have all these channels like you do now. Right. And then my mom said, came home that night with this paper and I said, oh, Mr. Lee gave me this. And she's sitting there playing cards with some neighbors. And she said, what did you do at that workshop? I said, I didn't do anything. So he evidently called her told her about the free sandwich and I knew she was mad that morning I got up it was early she said you get your backside out of here and you go to that program what I tell you about taking something free uh-huh I know you don't want to walk out in that rain but you're going to walk you're going to get out there I don't care how you get out there you're going to go to that program you think twice before you take something free so the first day I went to the program I wanted to quit and, I, and we just said, how was your program? I said, okay. He said, well, you get up and get your bathroom and start cleaning them bathrooms. You got job to do. Then get down here and hang up these clothes. You got two bowels waiting on you. And then she looked at me. And she says, how was the program? I said, it was okay. I quit. She said, what did you say? I quit. She said, you don't quit nothing in my house. You understand? You heard me what I told your sister about going to a dance. Guess what? You're going to stay in that program until I tell you to quit. Wow. It turned out it was probably one of the best things that happened because I was taking a lot of drugs for my behavior. And I think that counselor could read through me. And as I was going back and forth to the workshop and getting used to working with the people, one day I got in a fight and he came out and he said, Claiborne, Special Olympics. And I would put the hammer down and the argument would stop. Wow. So it was a change in my life. Wow. Because I helped try to start the track team in school and I got told we don't want no retards here. So I had a lot of negativity going on in my life. And here's something, and I thought to myself, well, is this gonna be something I can be a part of and they're gonna tell me I can't be in it no more? Right. But he, he had, you know, like I said, a message to his madness Instead of calling me in the office all the time, he knew I got to like in Special Olympics. And that was his trick. <laughs> so who was this guy? He found, uh, he was so invested in you. He was a counselor. He was a counselor at our shelter workshop. Wow. And they would do all the testing. I guess they call him a psychologist. Okay. Yeah, he was a psychologist. And his name was Lee Gilreath, and he's still living today, but he's a couple towns away. Wow, he really he really took a, a a vested interest in you and saw your your potential, huh? I guess he saw something that I I didn't see. Yeah, <laughs> and he wow. saw something my mom didn't see. Well, thank God for him because <laughs> he brought that out of you, and you've done so much with the Special Olympics ever since. Yeah, many years later. Um. What would you say to someone who has physical or intellectual challenges that loves sports and, or ha and has a dream of becoming an athlete? What would you say to those people? Find a sport that you like if you're interested in sports. And if you're not in the sports, find something that you like. And there's going to be always those doubters like, oh, you're not going to be no good. You're not going to be able to do it. What is good? 
good is what you say is good. To that person who says, oh, you're not going to be no good, you have an Achilles program. Yes. And I'm pretty sure a lot of these athletes are told they're not going to be good because they use a wheelchair or there's no way you're going to do this. But to them, being good might be just to finish the first marathon. Being good might be to them just to be even able to start the marathon. A dream was, to me, was to be able to do a marathon. And uh, I seen it on TV and I said, oh, I would like to try to do a marathon. And this was in the late 70s. And so a friend of mine, Bob Hollis and I, he looked at me one day, he says, well, there's one up in Harrisburg, you wanna do it. So we trained. I said, my goal was just to be able to finish it. And I wasn't gonna do no more, just do one. I satisfied myself. You know how you want ice cream cone says, oh, I just want one lick. I'll be <laughs> happy if I have one lick of that chocolate strawberry sundae. Not two licks, just one. But that's how I was with the marathon. I ran that marathon and I finished it and I was satisfied. Well, then I got the bug in my back. And I knocked on Bob Hollis's door and I said, Mr. Hollis, there's a marathon in Baltimore. Ben Hires is taking me. You want to go? He goes, no, he never ran one after that. He says, I did what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, I ended up doing 25 more. Wow. I mean, but just- And there was no training. There was no special shoes. There were no special diets. There was no chip. When I ran the Boston Marathon, I was eight minutes back from the starting line. Wow. And the starting line started, and that's the time they give you. Then they send you a little piece of paper saying, congratulations on finishing the Boston Marathon, and you had a time allowance. Wow. And I mean, time, three hours is a big, is a big uh, marathon win over here, Loretta. That's well, a huge... Only, I, I ran, actually ran like a, a, a three, 306, 307 that year, but they give you that allowance time, ah. and it came out to 303, but the sad thing was, I was eight minutes back. I would have broken three hours. Yeah, you, you did break three hours. <laughs> yeah. But it was done on estimated time. You know, people wow. got ahead of you. People were standing in two flights ahead of you. I saw my friend John Yingling. He says, oh, yeah, I was up with the three-hour people. Well, I went where I was told to go. Wonderful. 312 to 315 timers, and that's where I went. Wow. And that's only a few years after women were allowed to run Boston Marathon or marathons, period. Well, remember Ruzi Ruiz? Mm. She got on the bus and they thought, this woman looks too fresh. And they nabbed her. And here they found out she got public transportation, got it like a mile or two away from the race and start running in the race. And the first year I did the Boston Marathon, there were some older men. And there's a part where they call it Heartbreak Hill. Yes. And there's a school there where women go to school and they give out this deflated beer. And I saw these older guys in the race and we were chatting along the way because it's, you know, 6,000 runners. It's not like it is today, 30,000. Right. Yeah. So those guys saw me. I met them on Heartbreak Hill where these girls start giving out this deflated beer. And I taste it. I say, what's this? Guy next to me says, you might want to take that. And I tasted it, I said, it's nasty. So I was going to pitch it. Here was those three guys behind me. They said, hey, give it to me. 
So I gave it to them. <laughs> we go up the hills. We come down. And there was a baseball game leading out. We got past the baseball game. As I got to the finish line, the guy, in the, I could see him now in those suits, in those yellow white suits, pulled me and says, oh, you didn't finish the race. And those same three guys came up and says, she did finish the race. We were chasing her backside for 26 miles. Wonderful. They were going Wonderful. to pull me out the race saying I didn't finish. Wow. Wow, wow, And it was wow. those three guys came to my aid. Wonderful. Very good. That's a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing that. We sure. got, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, what made you get involved? The stuff like that is what made you get involved in leadership of the Special Olympics and becoming an advocate for them? Well, you know, I got in leadership through Special Olympics by mistake. Oh, okay. In the 80s, in the early 80s, I had an advocate through the ARC. I guess you've heard of the ARC. It used to be dubbed as the Association for Retarded Citizens. Mm. But they don't use that acronym anymore. It's just the ARC. Just like the YMCA was Young Men's Christian Association, it's just the Y. Right. So this advocate of mine says, Loretta, you know, the ARC is doing a new thing and there's a lot of people coming out of institutions and the laws are changing. I'd like you to work with me and speak. So we go to elementary schools and talk about people who have intellectual disability and that it's not a disease and, and we don't feel pain. And I used to do a little demonstration. Well, then they called people with mental retardation. Right. And of course, Miss Janet got me into going to schools with her because she worked for the state. And then I said to her, I said, this ain't for me. And she says, already you have to at least give it a try. So I'd go to corporate schools and the kids really liked it and they, I really interacted with them well. Well then years later, Special Olympics decided, we're gonna have a new program, it's called Athletes for Outreach. And I was like, what is that? Well, you get out and you speak about things in your program, in your Special Olympics program, and you go back to your community and you talk to people who wanna give money. Well, <laughs> I didn't do any of the programs. I didn't do the global messengers where people go out and speak on behalf of Special Olympics. I never had no training. I guess it was just a gift for God. And of course, yeah. Special Olympics grabbed me and they asked me would I serve on the board of directors and I was intimidated by that. My first board I served on was in 1982 and I wrote them a letter saying, I don't think this is for me. I just sit there. I feel like I'm a token. And then finally, Miss Janet talked to me and I was the first person to ever serve on the board, and that was the beginning of my leadership skills. What an amazing achievement. And you that made so many changes for it thereafter, for women, for people with special needs. That's amazing. For people with special uh, needs, and especially to get more women from other parts of the world who don't do sport. Right. And it's made a big impact on the Middle East. Yes. I'm hearing a lot and about that. And even at Special Olympics alone, I mean, it used to be 80% men, less than 20% women. And I yeah. used to always complain. I said, why don't you try to get more girls to do sports? You know, girls play softball. Men don't only play softball. Girls play basketball. I play basketball. Yep. And then nobody would listen to me. Well, as years went by, other people started complaining. 
And I said, how can we tell people from other countries that they should have more girls and we don't have more girls? Right. So then the last games were in Abu Dhabi and the crown prince, one of his missions was for him was to bring, make his country more inclusive for people with intellectual disability. And wow. so we wanted to leave a legacy there. And one of the legacies was for more women to participate in all aspects, whether it's to serve on the board, whether it's to be an athlete, whether it's to be a, a ref. And it's amazing because Saudi Arabia, they would never send girls. Or they would send a very limited number, almost mm. nothing for Saudi Arabia. And this past games, they had several women. Wow. And these were the first games that was 40% women. Wow. So we're Amazing. trying I'm trying to work on them to have it 50 50. Yeah. Good for you. See these are amazing changes you you've contributed to the whole Olympics period let alone just special Olympics. Well, when I went to school, you know, girls were not allowed to run on the track. It was a boys thing. Yeah. Then when I helped started that track team, I, I went to the principal and I got all the signatures and all those girls looked back all the regular ed students says, somebody, we'll get Loretta to do it. She'll go around and she'll get the signatures. <laughs> so I went to the principal, Mr. Eckenrode. He says, well, you girls, so you can practice in the hallway. Well, we got tired of running in the hallway. It started to get hot. So I said to Mr. Eckenrode, can us girls go down at the track when the boys are done? So finally we start going to the track. Wow. And a year after I graduated from high school, they had the first original official track team. Our team was just more or less a project, mm. but they had the first official track team. And there's a picture of me in the high school yearbook passing the baton to a girl and she dropped it. Oh. <laughs> and it was one of those smart girls that didn't want me to be on the team. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. The yearbook, I know my sister has the yearbook. And I still have a picture of me and these girls standing there and they were so, they only left me in the picture because the coach told them they had to leave me in the picture. Wow. They, they outright bluntly told me, he says, we don't want no retards on this team. Terrible. But you wasn't going to use me. Right. You wasn't going to use me and think you were going to get away with it. Good for you. Well, let's talk about that because you talk a lot about um, being fearless. What do you, what could you say to people who battle with this? And what, what, what have you found that helps you live fearless every day? Because you've always had a level of fear in you on some level because of all these things you've dealt with. You know, it's really hard because there are some people, so many people and during this time, especially with this COVID, you see people real, I talked to a group of people last night on the Zoom for almost two hours. And I heard one person says that she's really depressed because she can't get out. And I said to her, I said, well, yes, you can get out. I said, can you tell me what makes you think you can't get out? Well, we have to stay in our house and we have to do this. I said, there's no law that says that you can't go out and get on your bicycle and ride your bike. Right. There's no law says that you can't go out running or walking with your friends or your dog or just by yourself. Right. I said, you know what? And she said to me, she says, well, do you get depressed? I said, you know, I did at the beginning. Sitting here, everything was closed up. And I just said, I'm gonna go out and go running. 
and my, one of somebody said to me, oh, you can't go running because that stuff is in the air, that COVID's in the air. I said, no, it can't be in the air. It's around you around people. So I would go out and run. I couldn't go to the gym. I'm used to lifting heavier weights. The, all the gyms were closed. There was no silver sneakers. There was no refit. There was no Special Olympics. Every day I had two or three exercise programs set up. And then boom, my bubble got popped. Yeah. So I got down. And then one day I was sitting in here. It was raining. And I was really getting depressed. I was like not, I was going to bed and getting up at two, one o'clock in the afternoon. I was like, why am I laying here? Wow. You know, why am I laying here? I wasn't eating right. Like I wouldn't eat. I get up in the morning and then eat like at one o'clock in the afternoon, a yogurt with some coffee and then, you know, almost nothing. I said, I gotta, I gotta do something. And then I made up my own little saying, faith trumps over fear. And I made that little saying up to myself, faith trumps over fear. So I start going out and running and then when I would see people, if I was away, you know, a couple feet away, I'd stand there and talk up a blue moon. One day I was running and it started pouring. So I'm standing under this shelter, waiting for this rain to stop. This guy comes up, he's standing on the other end. We're about 12 feet apart, sitting under this rain thing. And we just start chatting. He says, I see you run all the time. We just stop and here, he knew somebody that I knew from martial arts. He says, do you ever see George Arbrell? I said, Sensei Arbrell said, yes. We stood there, we must have talked an hour. Wow. About martial arts. 12 feet apart from each other. I could hear him, he could hear me. I said, you know, they say this is social distancing. I said, we stood here and talked an hour. This is only physically distancing. Right. So they need to change that. Words so matter. Back. Yeah. I got back home and of course it was still rain. This rain came back and I looked around. I said, you know, this is depressing. So I start picking up my needles. I start knitting preemie hats and I must have made, I don't know how many preemie hats. I'll show you one. Oh, you crochet? This one's not quite finished. But for babies who are premature, and I start making these little preemie hats. I had the yarn sitting around and. Oh, look at them. Oh, they're wonderful. And I send some out to North Dakota. I send some out to uh, McGee Women's Hospital. I got a bag here to go to York Hospital. Wow. And then I started making the knitted knockers for women's breast cancer. Wow. And I said, I'm not going to depress myself. I said, I am sorry. I got to get over this. I got to get over this hump. And then I came in, I said, hmm, start knitting. Then I left for a couple of weeks and I went out to Shanksville with some friends. I came back and we still can't, there's still a lot of stuff you can't do. Right. But you so found a way around. to do something. Yep. And then I just decided, oh, look at this, a harmonica. I'll pick up my trusty old harmonica. <laughs> and I start just listening on YouTube writing down the little note things and numbers and just start playing songs. Wow. And it keeps Amazing. me busy. And I don't have cable TV. Amazing. I have TV the way it was intended to be. I still have an antenna. 
<laughs> Good for you. Very simple. Very simple. Not stay busy. Good for you. Well, we're going to get into even more detail in our second session. Everybody come on over. You can check more about her on LarettaClaiborne.com. But we have a more advanced session where we're going to talk more about her mindset and how she always finds ways to come out of that rut like she just talked about. Join us in the advanced session. So much fun, right? I know it. Now, go on over and have even more of a good time listening and learning to so much of the experiences that Loretta shares with us in the advanced session. The description of this podcast holds that link for you to get on over there to not only hear her advanced session, but the other 20 experts that we interviewed during the Marathon Training Summit. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. There's so much information for you to take away from it and really add to your own run experience. Enjoy and have a great day. You're listening to the Run Pain-Free Podcast, brought to you by the Run Pain-Free Academy, featuring biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. Subscribe to us as you leave a positive review on iTunes.